This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I start out every week with a, a countdown on how many days remaining to an election, because in political campaigns, it's all about the clock. There are no overtimes. There's no extensions. Campaigns face a deadline of 8 p.m. on Election Day, and after that, it's game over. Back in 1984, I was a 22-year-old. I was running for a township council seat. I remember walking into my first event. It was a, a barbecue after a golf outing for a local organization. I didn't recognize any of the hundred or so people that were in the room, and I got stage fright. I got back in my car, and I went home. And that haunted me for the rest of the campaign. I knew if I lost by less than 100 votes, I would blame the opportunity of that evening of campaigning. And anyone who has run for office knows that feeling. Nobody wants to lose ever, but close elections can be especially painful. Uh, When you realize you've squandered a chance to get votes by just taking some time off. So we are now 38 days away from the June 8th primary election, and it is crunch time. In some parts of New Jersey, vote-by-mail ballots are already out. Some people have already voted. If you're a candidate and you haven't been out campaigning, if you haven't already begun to communicate with voters, if people don't know who you are yet, then you may have already lost this election. Time in politics is everything. And later on, I'll be joined by two people who know politics inside and out at 520, I'll speak with Congressman Donald Norcross. He is the chairman of the House Armed Services Tactical Air and Land Forces Subcommittee. He's the only licensed electrician in Congress, I think, and and a longtime union member and union leader. Congressman Norcross was in the House chamber this week for Joe Biden's address to a joint session of Congress. I'm going to ask him about the president's speech. You are not going to want to miss what he has to say. And at 535, I'll be joined by Bridget Callahan Harrison, a political science professor at Montclair State University. She's a veteran observer of state and national politics, and and she has literally written the book on American democracy. I'm going to ask her about the upcoming Senate primary in Bergen County, the the race between two longtime Democratic lawmakers to succeed Loretta Weinberg. We'll also talk about Chris Christie's continued ambition to become president of the United States. So stay tuned for that because it's a head turner whenever we talk about Chris Christie. And coming up on Sunday night at 9 p.m., the New Jersey Globe will host a debate between two Democrats running for the Senate in Bergen County, Valerie Veneri Huddle, Gordon Johnson. I'm moderating that debate. You can watch it on the New Jersey Globe website or on Facebook Live, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, just go to njglobe.com and follow the links. This is by far the best race of the primary season. And even if you don't live in Bergen County, uh, even if you don't live in New Jersey, you will not want to miss hearing what Valerie Veneri Huddle and Gordon Johnson have to say about this race. This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. As is 
often the case, maybe a little too often. Uh, the Star-Ledger got some facts wrong this week. It's, it's sort of commonplace for their editorial writer, Tom Moran, to twist some facts in order to make sure that his story turns out the way he wants. But he, he might have stepped over the line this week, and that caused Senator Bob Menendez to, uh, and I, I guess I'll put it kindly here, he slapped his wrist. Moran's been on a crusade of a, a geographic bias in recent weeks. He's been saying that people from Hudson County can't possibly be honest men and women because, well, because it's Hudson County. So Menendez punched back in probably what isn't a fair fight to begin with. Menendez is the chairman of the United States Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He's an integral player in global international policy. Uh, Moran works for a newspaper that has sadly seen some better days. It's a, it's a newspaper that seems to value reviews of hamburgers and french fries a little bit more than covering real news. Uh, and, and it's hard for people there to, to try and bully powerful political leaders and then realize that they just don't care what he has to say. So, so Menendez defended the honor of Hudson. Uh, which continues to produce some rather extraordinary leaders. And one thing that really stuck out to me uh, in a column last Sunday is, is some revisionist history over the relationship between New Jersey's two United States senators over the years. Uh, Moran downplayed a, a particularly toxic relationship between the late Frank Lautenberg and the junior senator from the state at the time, Bob Torricelli. I don't know, maybe because it was convenient for that narrative. Uh, Torricelli, and, and I like Bob Torricelli personally. We've gotten to know each other over the years. He's smart as a whip. But let's be clear about something. Bob Torricelli hated Frank Lautenberg, and Frank Lautenberg couldn't stand Bob Torricelli. And the feud between those two was legendary. The, the classic story is the time Torricelli just lost it in a Senate Democratic caucus meeting. And he told Lautenberg, and now I'll say, if there are children listening, put your hands over their ears. Uh, Torricelli told Lautenberg, I'm going to cut your balls off. That was his public statement. You can only imagine what was said in, in the privacy of the United States Senate. Two senators from the same state not getting along, that's, that's nothing unusual. Menendez and Lautenberg didn't always get along. They bickered over federal appointments. Lautenberg thought he should get all of them. Menendez thought he was entitled to a few. Lautenberg and Bill Bradley didn't particularly like each other. Uh, Lautenberg was jealous of Bradley's luster, and that was his word, not mine. And Bradley got along with Harrison Williams until he didn't. Williams had remained in the Senate despite his conviction in the Abscam scandal. He resigned the day after Bradley voted that he would uh, or announced that, that he would vote to expel him. So that brings us to the last eight years and the relationship between Bob Menendez and Cory Booker. And it's been a sort of bromance. The two get along publicly and, and privately. And when Menendez faced what was supposed to be a tough re-election campaign three years ago, he and Booker were attached at the hip. There's a, a real friendship there, and, and the Star-Ledger's not going to change that. This is David Wildstein. You are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, I'm going to admit that this next bit of news baffled me. This week, 
New Jersey Globe reporter Nikita Birkov asked Governor Phil Murphy whether voters who refused to wear a mask would be prohibited from entering their polling place. Uh, I'm going to play a clip. Listen to what Governor Murphy had to say. I think if you refuse to wear a mask, we're not letting you in. It's that simple. I mean, you've got to wear a mask. I mean, so, so Governor Murphy's usually somewhat predictable, meaning you can typically anticipate what his view will be. He's consistent, especially on issues related to COVID. But I got this one wrong. Uh, I thought Murphy would say something like, I hope every voter wears a mask. I'm trying to convince them to do that. We'll have masks available at polling places. But New Jersey doesn't ever disenfranchise voters because we're not Georgia. So I was very surprised when Governor Murphy said he would turn someone away and stop them from voting just because they refuse to wear a mask. Frankly, I don't see that one getting enforced. I, I can't imagine a voter actually being told they can't vote because they're unmasked. And while I've learned to live with the disappointment of judges who seem to be reliably wrong when it comes to election law, I don't think a judge is going to allow anyone to block someone from voting. But, you know, it's Jersey, so so we'll just see what happens. Uh also this week, we, we found out that one of the Republicans running for governor is headed to court. His name is Phil Rizzo. He's a, a real estate developer turned pastor who's appealing a decision by the state election commission to deny him public financing for what is a really a long shot bid to take on Phil Murphy. Uh, Rizzo has raised close to $500,000. Believe it or not, that's, that's not a lot of money to run for governor in a state with over 9 million people. But That's how much money under New Jersey's uh, matching funds program you need to qualify. So if he were to win in court, he'd get another 700,000, maybe more if he keeps raising money. Uh, And this is this is Rizzo's last chance. Uh, Even with the extra money, he is a long shot against Jack Chitterelli, the the presumptive Republican nominee. And 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 Rizzo, I have to say, has a great lawyer. His name's John Carbone. He's a a legend in New Jersey election law. So for that reason, it's hard to say he won't succeed. Uh, But. Without the matching funds, Rizzo doesn't get to participate in two debates. Frankly, I don't don't know if that matters. This this primary debates become a little bit of a a joke. Uh, Jack Chitterelli will be in and another guy named Hirsch Singh. Hirsch Singh's 36 years old. He's a perennial candidate. He's run for office five times in the last four years without ever making it past the primary. And and he he lives at home with his parents. And, And I'll tell you why that's important, because New Jersey's got this election law loophole. Uh, because he lives at home, he's allowed to take an unlimited money amount of money from from his father, uh, who's a wealthy businessman, and and that loophole treats him like he's a self funder, even though he's just a guy living at home with his parents. If, if he had his own place, that wouldn't work. So, so now you have Hirsch Singh in a gubernatorial debate, and and Chitterelli's going to have to suffer through that. And at some point, I I would not be surprised if the legislators wind up uh, uh, fixing this legal hiccup. Uh, Coming up next is Congressman Donald Norcross. I'm going to ask him about Joe Biden's address to a joint session of Congress this week. He was in the House chamber for the speech, so you won't want to miss what he has to say. 
And at 435, I'll be joined by one of the state's top political analysts, Bridget Callahan Harrison, to talk about the upcoming primary election and more, including Chris Christie ramping up to run for president again. So you're not going to want to miss what she has to say. This is David Wildstein, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein. Congressman Donald Norcross is serving his fifth term in the House of Representatives. He's chairman of a armed services subcommittee that puts him in the room on some hugely important issues affecting national security. Congressman, welcome. How are you today? Great I'm, to be here. I'm doing great. Thank you for coming on. And I want to talk to you about the, the substance of President Biden's address to a, a joint session of Congress. But, but first, I want to ask you about that event yourself. I saw a photo of you, on, you with the president on the floor of the House. It, it didn't look like that normal presidential address. There were a lot of, of empty seats. Uh, uh, you've, you've been in the room for a lot of, of presidential uh, State of the Unions and other, uh, other speeches, but, but never under COVID restrictions. What was that like? Well, the layout, as you saw, uh, 30 senators from both sides of the aisle. There was 40 members of the House from both sides. But instead, the entire Joint Chiefs, only General Milley was there. Time after time, we saw that pared down because of the pandemic. It makes sense. The last time we had anything close to that was January 6th. And I'll tell you what, it brought back memories of that day just because we were laid out in approximately the same way. But uh, it's not like any other presidential address I've ever attended. And if you just look back two years, it's remarkable what an election can do to change the focus of a country. And uh, his address. Uh, so tell me about that. Tell me about, you know, I want to talk to you about the, the, the president's American Families First, uh, American Families Plan, and also about his jobs plan. Tell me about that. So let's start out, you know, when the president came in, first of all, the visual, something that has never happened in our lifetime, the vice president and Speaker Pelosi, two women at the very top level of leadership and power. Uh, I wish my mother had been here because uh, she would really appreciate what has happened to our country. So right after that, the number one priority, quite frankly, for all of us is the pandemic to make sure that we can get the vaccines out in a predictable way, ramp it up to the massive program that it has become. And I think uh, it has changed the way people are living within those first 100 days. Shots in the arms, money in their pockets, get people back to job and put kids safely back into school. That's the focus of those first 100 days. And you can break each one of those issues down, and uh, we've been very busy, to say the least. So, so both of these proposals, and these are these are enormous proposals. Were first of all, were you yes. were you surprised by the 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 breadth, the the depth, and the breadth of of, of the American Families Plan, and and how many different issues it covered? Uh, not surprised by any of the individual proposals. I guess the surprise, a pleasant surprise, is that he's tackling an issue that has been around for decades, and we're going to try to fix it. 
with a little bit of help from everybody, we're going to be able to do it. I was a single dad when I started out as an electrician many years ago. The idea of having affordable, quality childcare that you feel safe putting a kid in is incredibly important to get the economy back on track. If your kids aren't in school and they don't have daycare, there's a big problem for the workforce, not to mention the child and the family. And this is a I mean, just just to be clear, this he, the president's proposed a, a universal preschool program for three and four year olds. Yeah, the study after study. I don't think there's much debate on whether it is as effective. I think it's pretty much universal. Uh, but the other end of the spectrum is something that uh, an investment in the next generation, the two years community college. As you know, I went to the other four year school. I did an apprenticeship. And we know not everybody wants to or needs to go to college when they're 18. I used to say I didn't know if I wanted to go to college, build the college, or defend the college. We need people in each one of those areas, and they are just as valuable. And that's what President Biden, I got to tell you, sitting there, uh, you know, 25, 30 feet away from the president, when he starts talking about the men and women who are keeping our country running, who are building it. Guys and gals that go out each and every day that might not have a college degree, but you know what? They kept our country running, and they are as valuable as any Ph.D. going down the road. We need all of them. And I think you saw for the first time a president, in a very sincere way, say, the middle class, they helped build this country. And that's what I talked to the president about when he came down I thank them on behalf of all the people, and quite frankly, myself, who at times felt they were left behind by different administrations, and he talked right to it. Uh, I can't tell you, it meant a tremendous amount to me, but the people that I used to work with and represent down at the refineries, wow. They didn't feel like they were getting BS'd. It was sincere, and that's the conversation we had. Now, the president appeared to take a victory lap on vaccinations is 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 it time for a victory lap is and is that his accomplishment well i don't think anybody should take a victory lap i'm sure you lost people you love we certainly did across the board way too many people died but the idea that from where we were to where we are now in a predictable way putting the focus Not that it's over. We need to address it. We're getting a lot closer to getting back to what I'll call the new normal. But we're not there yet, and obviously everybody wants it, right? They want to get back out there and start over for that year that so many people lost. you got to remember, he's the director of the band, and the band is delivering those doses. But obviously he wasn't the only one. It takes a nation to do that. Sure. And I'm speaking with Congressman Donald Norcross of New Jersey. Congressman, I want, to, I want to ask a different question. There's there's a group called the Oath Keepers. It's, it's an anti-government militia group. It was at, uh, allegedly at the center of the uprising at the Capitol on January 6th. One of the leaders of the Oath Keepers in New Jersey is running for the state assembly. You were a county chairman before you were congressman. Should Should leaders of both parties stand in the way? of of oath keeper members running for office well i was on the floor when we were attacked 
I lived it firsthand. I saw something I never thought in a million years that would happen is people breaking in while we're in session. We saw that on TV. There is no middle ground on that. They attacked the capital of the United States, the symbol of our democracy, and that somehow we're just going to let that slip by. People died. People got hurt. I was with members who were running for their life. We were going down the staircase when that shot fired. You want to talk about panic. This is who we are, the United States of America. And people from within attacked it. Uh, we have to get to the truth, no matter where it goes. So many people discuss how we're going to do it. The 9-11 Commission had very much the same focus. We're going to follow the truth. But quite frankly, we have some folks who are trying to fight this. Uh, it's been a while. We'll let it go. They attacked our democracy. The vice president was in one side. It, I still wake up thinking, how the hell did this happen? And why can't we together find out what happened so it never happens again? Putting up higher walls and fences will do it. But no, we have to go to fundamentally. Why did it get to this point? And you talk about the Oath Keepers, one of many of them. Uh, you know, you know the investigations are going on, uh, but the idea of a 9-11 commission, so it's transparent, that people are out there, can see what's going on, and to find out what happened. So one of your colleagues in Congress, Josh Gottheimer, he in the last election ran against the guy who refused to condemn the Oath Keepers. And, and, and since that election, this guy's gotten even closer to the Oath Keepers group. Now he, he wants to run against Congressman Godheimer again. Is, is, is an affiliation with the Oath Keepers a deal breaker when it comes to serving in the U.S. Congress? Well, as you know, every member of Congress is up for an election. And they are running to represent that district. I know how I would feel, and certainly Josh Gottheimer made that clear. But the fact of the matter is, if we don't see the connection between those who are part of the people who attacked our capital, and we don't speak out about it, then we're complicit. We're part of that. We. Nobody has the right to sit back and not do anything. The democracy, as we all know, was given to us. We're the ones who have to keep it, and it's very much a challenge. Now, the good news is I believe those investigations will take place, a transparent, bipartisan. But it was also, and I'll just go back to the speech given by the president. I talked to my colleagues on the other side of the aisle how different it was, the tone, the structure. They can disagree with all the policies they want, and that's what we do. But you didn't see the attacks on individuals and, quite frankly, the smirking that was going on. What a change to bring down the temperature. Not everything has to be a war. And I think that's incredibly important not only for our democracy, but for our neighborhoods. You know, people got tied up in this, 
and it affects families, it affects neighbors. You know, we can disagree, uh, but the idea of having violence and going after it is no place in our society. You know what I used to do? I was a union representative for electrical workers. In the 43 years, we did a lot of public displays. We used that first amendment. Not one was ever violent. There's well, a real change between what that is in the First Amendment and what we saw on the sixth. Well, there's, I know there's a lot of great challenges for you in Washington, and I, I, I wish you, you know, the continued luck in dealing with them. Uh, Congressman Donald Norcross in New Jersey, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, David. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. And I will be right back with Professor Bridget Harrison, one of New Jersey's best political pundits. I'm going to ask her about Chris Christie running for president again, so you're not going to want to miss that. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I always value books and films and good TV. But now, during a pandemic, I appreciate them, I need them, more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes, it's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. Sit here, folks. Bernie and Sid in the morning. One of the things I really love about betting on basketball is I'm always finding new player props or game props that I really like. And what's cool about FanDuel Sportsbook is you can combine these props with other bets from the same game to score an even bigger payout. It's called a same-game parlay bet. You can only find them on FanDuel. So if you at New York, for example, on Wednesday night, New York minus the points and the over versus Chicago and over 30 points for Julius Randle, you would have won the three-legged same-game parlay. Now, if you only win two of those, you can still get up to $25 back inside credit each day with same-game parlay insurance. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today, try a same-game parlay, and use the promo code SID, S-I-D, to sign up. Once again, folks, that's promo code S-I-D. Must be 21 plus and present in NJ or PA. Refund issued is non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund, $25. Terms apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org 
or dial 211. A managing editor is wanted by International Financial Law Review in New York, New York office. Mail resume to N. Moonsami, Institutional Investor, LLC, 1120 Avenue of the Americas, 6th floor, New York, New York, 1006. Hey, cousins, it's the Saturday night rock and roll party <laughs> with me. I'm your cousin, Brucey. It's today. Go on the air at 6 o'clock right here on Music Radio 77 WABC. You can also hear Cousin Brucey on WABCradio.com. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Welcome back, everybody. Bridget Callahan Harrison is a political science professor at Montclair State University, and she is one of the best political pundits around. So uh, it's a pleasure. Dr. Harrison, how are you? Hey, David. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I always look forward to our thought partnership. So, so it's, it's always fun to talk <laughs> to us. Me to the pun. <laughs> uh, let's, let's start by talking about the race for state Senate in Bergen County between Valerie Veneri Huddle and, and Gordon Johnson. Uh, they're seeking to replace Loretta Weinberg, perhaps one of the most consequential legislators in a generation. So let me start with this. Is, is Loretta Weinberg replaceable? She's not. I mean, when you look at Loretta's legacy throughout the state of New Jersey, um, not just what she's done in the public policy sphere, which is enormous. Uh, You know, the fact that when women give birth in a hospital and they can't be discharged 12 hours after having a baby, the reason for that is Loretta Weinberg. Um, You know, there are so many significant public policy consequences. And really, she's been the conscience of the Democratic Party for decades. Um, But then you also think about the mentorship that she's afforded, particularly women throughout the state, myself included, um, but men as well. And, you know, she she is... uh, an incredible icon in New Jersey politics, and she, she's frankly not replaceable. So, so, but she's going to be replaced. Somebody, she's going to be somebody, replaced. somebody's going to going to win this primary, and it, and it puts it puts two longtime running mates together in a primary: Valerie yeah. Veneri Huddle, Gordon Johnson. And so, here's my question: they have they have nearly identical voting records over the last 16 years. What do each of them need to do in tomorrow night's debate to help Democratic primary voters decide? You know, I don't know that. Um I don't know that this debate is going to make voters decide one way or another. You know, there's a couple things at play. Part of it is representational politics. So if people are more interested in having a woman in that seat, then, you know, obviously they would go with with Huddle. If they're more interested in having a a black man, perhaps, you know, they they go with with Johnson. But, But the thing is, is that when you listen to these two candidates. Like you said, they've served side by side. They've been friends. Um, Their voting records are nearly identical. The only way in which um, they've differentiated themselves significantly throughout their political careers is that Johnson was an early supporter of Governor Phil Murphy, right? And, And so where Huddle Kind of held back and and waited to see how the field played out. Johnson got on board really early, and he's seeing that um, that risk that he took being rewarded by having the support of the governor. 
The other thing, of course, and and this is perhaps the most decisive thing about this, was that um, Johnson got on board with the Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin when he was challenging Vinnie Prieto. And, you know, this was in defiance of Lou Stilato. So there was he really took a serious risk and he's seeing that risk being rewarded right now again, um, whereas Huddle has has parlayed that into support by the progressives throughout the state. So, you know, I think that there are in New Jersey, when you don't have real significant differences between um, candidates on issues, it comes down to personalities. It also comes down to who's, who's your friends, who's got your back, right? And, um, you know, the differences between them are, are really um, policy-wise are quite negligible. And I'm speaking with Bridget Callahan Harrison, a professor at Montclair State University. So, so Gordon Johnson's got the he's got the organization line, the endorsement of the Bergen County Democratic Organization that that puts his name right next to Phil Murphy on the ballot. How how important is that going to be? What kind of an edge is that? <laughs> well, you know, and I, if you had asked me that question a year ago, David, yeah. I probably have a, a different answer. Um, it's obviously a significant advantage, right? It's not just having Governor Murphy above him; it's also having down-ballot candidates, um, including all of the municipal candidates running with him. But the fact that people are voting by mail obviously weakens the impact of having the line. Um, And, of course, you know, Huddle, uh, you know, I count Valerie as a friend. Um, She is running a, a particularly effective and aggressive campaign and she, as I mentioned, has the support of progressive organizations that are doing everything they can to rally the troops, and including some of their voter mobilization efforts that have proven successful in the past. So this is going to be a competitive race, and I would anticipate everybody pulling out the stops um, to, to turn out their voters here. So let's talk about... Uh... Former Governor Chris Christie. I, I, I know everybody loves to talk about him. Uh, uh, it appears he wants to run for president again. Does does he have a path to the nomination? You know, I think everybody sitting in the state of New Jersey would say there ain't no way in hell. But uh, the reality is, is that it's not just New Jersey deciding this, right? And so we we're deeply familiar with a governor who left office with the lowest approval rating of any governor ever uh, with a 14 percent approval rating. And um, but but the reality is, is that the rest of the country, that is not their immediate experience. And so, you know, I believe in second chances. And we had in Governor Christie at one point, you know, a big tent Republican with an approval rating in the high 70s. somebody who was perceived as being a straight shooter before he kind of went off at the deep end and kind of tacked conservative and, and started getting particularly aggressive in his, his rhetoric, kind of, um, you know, the Donald Trump 1.0, um, and then supporting President Trump, who was obviously reviled in the state of New Jersey. Is it possible for, you know, a, a Chris Christie 3.0 to have a path to victory? I've watched him in politics. Um, he is among the most Machiavellian politicians out there, and I would not count him out at this point, honestly, particularly when you look at, at the field more broadly. Um, you know, he's a person who has 
supported President Trump and can use that to parlay support among the Trump faction, but also um, you know, has at certain points distanced himself. Today he gave the president an A, uh, President Trump an A rating, you know, on Hannity. Um, so I guess he's you know attempting to placate the the Trump faction at this point. But he also has been critical. So um, I think it's possible. It's, it's going to be a, a fun race to watch. I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm speaking with Bridget Callahan Harrison. I want to talk about the governor's race. New Jersey hasn't reelected a Democratic governor in 44 years. Does does Phil Murphy break that streak? I think he does. Um, you know, looking at everything right now. Um, you know, Governor Murphy handled the COVID pandemic masterfully. And, you know, people be, can be critical about opening the economy too slow. You have a governor here, like every governor throughout the state of New Jersey, who was essentially handed a task that should have been performed by the federal government. And our governor, you know, it certainly wasn't flawless. Too many people died, but our governor did the best that he could. And he also did much more than many other governors. And so, you know, he's got a 58% approval rating right now. Um, He has the ability to outspend his opponent astronomically. And um, the key issue right now, it seems, is the Republicans tend to be harping away on, you know, the economy is opening too slow. And, you know, in in some particular cases, that, that message may resonate But when we get to, you know, the summer, when we see now more and more things are opening more widely, you know, is this going to be an issue that resonates for people in November? Are they going to think back and say, oh, yeah, you know, I couldn't go to bars back in June. I'm not going to vote for the guy. And so, you know, this and and also this message resonates with with conservative Republicans. Well, you know what? The governor can win this election without conservative Republicans voting for him. And well, it's a, it's a good transition because uh, I, I want to ask you about a you know a person who's now a conservative Republican, Jeff Van Drew, congressman from from South Jersey. Uh, well, maybe to, this week. The, this week. This week. <laughs> Uh, that, I mean, that's that's really what I would ask you about. There, there are two things that have struck me this year with Van Drew, which is that when he was a Democratic congressman, he co-sponsored, not just voted for, but co-sponsored a bill to uh, extend the ratification of the ERA. He co-sponsored legislation to grant statehood to D.C. This year he voted against them both. What what What's that about? <laughs> Well, David, you're in Florida. Look down at your feet. You have a pair of flip-flops on. I mean, you know, this. look, I people make transitions, right? And as, particularly as you age, you have access to more information. I totally understand um, people changing their viewpoints on issues as they acquire more information or, you know, external circumstances or whatever. But here's a guy, and we can talk about the ERA. We can talk about... Um, D.C. statehood, but let's talk about things like gun violence prevention measures. Let's talk about things like um, jobs programs and fair labor laws. It's really difficult to perceive somebody having not just, you know, a position, but an entire political career, decades-long political career, where he's established a certain framework on certain issues, and then overnight he he changes his mind. So now 
you know, the extension of the ERA is no longer a good idea. When it was a good idea, he was one of five Republicans to support it in 2020, and now he's not voting for it. Um, so, you know, what we see here is certainly the, the House Republican leadership is putting considerable sure. pressure on him. And, um, you know, he's trying to make a name for himself in his new Republican Party. Yeah. And, um, and that he is, right? That he is. So. Right. Yeah. But the, the, it's, it's always uh, – I'm speaking with Bridget Callahan Harrison, professor at Montclair State University. Dr. Harrison, thank you again for joining me. It's always fun to talk to you. Pleasure, David. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, we'll be back in, in a couple minutes. I want to tell a story about one of the, the greatest political deals in New Jersey history. This is David Wildstein, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and I, I've been hosting the New Jersey Globe Power Hour here on Talk Radio 77 WABC since September. Uh, each week I get a lot of feedback from listeners. I always appreciate hearing from people. And, and if you have comments, I'm always going to channel my inner Brian Stack. Always feel free to e- contact me. You can email me at david at njglobe.com or, or direct message me on Twitter at, at Wildstein. Uh, one of the things I hear most uh, from listeners is that people like to hear some of the old stories of Jersey politics. So I'll try to remember to do that as often as I can. And here's one of my favorites. It's it's maybe the ultimate political insider deal. And it, it's one that had a, a truly generational impact on Jersey politics. Uh, back in 1971, uh, politics was different in New Jersey. It was a two-party state. Republicans at that point had a massive majority in the state legislature. In the state assembly, they had 59 of the 80 seats. But the midterm elections for Republican Governor Bill Cahill, they, they went badly. Democrats picked up 19 seats. Uh, that left the assembly at 40 Democrats 39 Republicans and and one independent. It was a guy named Anthony Imperial, uh, perhaps the most colorful man to ever serve in the New Jersey legislature, at least in the the 40 something years that I've been watching him. Uh, uh, I can tell you, uh, I'm going to tell you more about Tony Imperial someday. He was a fascinating figure. Uh, The majority leader of the assembly at the time was a 36 year old a legislator named Thomas Kane. He was a man of of extraordinary ability and ethics and and gravitas even as a young man, but he was still old school. He was a a nuts and bolts politician. He knew how to count. He knew how to cut a deal uh, when he needed to. Kane wanted to be the assembly speaker and you need to be in the majority to be the speaker. And he didn't have a majority of the seats. He only had 39 of them. And he needed to figure out a path to get to 41. So Kane forged a coalition with three Hudson County assemblymen and a fourth one from Union County that gave him enough votes to become the speaker. In exchange, each of those four Democratic legislators received committee chairmanships. One of the Democrats is a, is a New Jersey legend. I, I promise 
to tell you more about him someday. His, his name is David Friedland. At the time, he was the sitting assembly minority leader. And Friedland thought he should be speaker, but there was absolutely no no chance that he was going to get that, not from the Democratic caucus. They they didn't like the idea largely because of a, a scandal that involved a, a loan sharking case that caused David Friedman to lose his law license for a while. So Kane, as I said, 36 at the time, to him being speaker, placed him on a career trajectory that led to two terms as governor. He was easily the most popular governor in in one or two generations he was he was reelected with 70% of the vote later he served as chairman of the independent commission that investigated the the events that led to terrorist attacks on September 11th uh, but the political careers of the democrats who went along and gave him those votes they didn't necessarily go as well friedland made it to the state senate but he was removed from office following a, a, a conviction on federal corruption charges. Uh, just before his sentencing, David Friedland, and I promise I'll tell more about this at another time, but, but uh, he faked his death in a scuba diving accident uh, off the coast of India. And he, he remained free until his capture in the Maldive Islands several years later. Uh, another one of the Democrats that was involved in this deal, and, and, and get this, and I'm seriously, I'm not making this up. This, this really happened, and I, and I promise to tell you the full story about this someday. Uh, his name was Silvio Fila, and a few months after the vote, completely unrelated, really completely unrelated, he was, he was murdered by a pimp and a prostitute outside a bar at the Jersey Shore. Uh, the other two in the deal saw their political careers end uh, also, just, just, just not as painfully as, as Friedland and Fila. Uh, they were both denied party support for re-election, or as they say in Jersey, they lost the line. Uh, this is David Wildstein. You are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, again, I want to remind everyone, please watch tomorrow night's debate. Uh, it's the New Jersey Globe debate for the Democratic nomination for state Senate in a in a Bergen County district. This debate starts at 9 p.m. Sunday. If you're not around, no worries. That's the great thing about the digital age. You can catch the debate at your convenience. Uh, you can watch it on the New Jersey Globe website, njglobe.com, or on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter. Just check the New Jersey Globe for instructions. The winner of this election will be decided by the primary. New Jersey's 37th has never elected a Republican. It surely will not this year. Uh, so for those of you who live in northeastern Bergen County, this is the election that matters, the primary. Uh, for the last 16 years, as you heard me speak with, with Professor Bridget Callahan-Harrison about, uh, this seat's been held by one of the most consequential legislators in the state's history, Loretta Weinberg. She is She's retiring after 16 years in the Senate, 28 in the legislature. Open seats like this don't come up very often, and that's why it's important. And the, the two candidates for assembly, Valerie Veneri-Huddle, Gordon Johnson, uh, they are they are competing for the seat. It's it's an enormously important race. It's the best 
campaign in the state right now by far. And even if you don't live in Bergen County, even if you don't live in New Jersey, uh, you are still going to want to watch this debate. This is uh, this is a fascinating race. Uh, I, I also want to let, let everybody know something else that happened this week. It has not gotten as much attention as it should. Uh, two more prison guards at the Edna Mann Correctional Facility were charged with official misconduct this week. Uh, that brings the total number to 10. The two are accused of failing to prevent uh, use of excessive force, allegations of beatings and sexual assaults at New Jersey's only women's prison. It's been widely discussed among insiders and activists, but it's not really out there for the public. The general public hasn't really had a chance to learn much about it, as they should. Governor Murphy is conducting an investigation. Uh, he called for that three months ago. The Globe Statehouse reporter asked about that. Uh, this week, we still haven't learned. So stay tuned. There'll be more news on that. Thank you for listening. This is David Wildstein. Thank you, Kevin Sanders. And you've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.